It's Friday, July 13th, and this is The Daily Dive. The city of Stockton in California will soon embark on a bold basic income program that will test what people do with free money. Some residents will be given $500 a month with no strings attached. Annie Lowry, author of a new book about universal basic income called Give People Money, joins us to talk about the idea of giving citizens money to keep them from falling below the poverty line and how it could change the way we work. It's time to get ready for another one of the biggest shopping days of the year. Get out of here Black Friday, move over Cyber Monday. It's time for Amazon Prime Day. Get ready for lightning deals and don't forget to ask Alexa for some secret deals. Personal tech columnist Jennifer Jolly joins us for tips on getting the best deals and avoiding the hype. Finally, Marco Della Cava, tech and culture writer for USA Today, joins us to talk about a tech heist that was thwarted by the FBI. A former Apple engineer almost got away with their secret plans for self-driving cars. Remember, you can't fight big tech. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. So the idea is that it be as universal as possible, meaning you and me. So someone who makes $70,000 could get it, someone who makes $7,000 would be equally eligible to well qualify. We trust that people are smart and resilient and so we make the best decision for them and their families with the money. $500, no strings attached. The idea is to have a conversation about kind of the economic system of this country, but also highlight stories of what something as small as $500 could do. Joining us now is Annie Lowry. She reports on politics and economic policy for The Atlantic. She's also the author of Give People Money, How a Universal Basic Income Would End Poverty, Revolutionize Work and remake the world. So this is a really interesting discussion, this notion of, they call it UBI, universal basic income. Stockton, California is a city who's going to be experimenting with this pretty soon, uh, later this year, maybe early 2019. Their plan is to be giving, I think about 100 residents there, $500 a month for 18 months or so, and study all of the data that comes from it. What do they do with the money? Does it uh, help them get above the poverty line, et cetera, et cetera? But you wrote this book about universal basic income. Tell us a little bit about uh, where the notion started and other places it might be playing out so far. Absolutely. So this is a really old idea, and it goes all the way back kind of in the historical record. The first time that we see somebody proposing it is actually in Thomas More's Utopia, which is this work of philosophical fiction, which was written at the time that, that you were having these feudal economies that were becoming capitalist economies. So basically, instead of living on a, on a lord's piece of land and working the land and that being the way that you would make money, they would pay you to farm it. And that was causing all sorts of economic problems, it led to Western countries developing welfare programs. And so this idea of the government just giving everybody money has kind of it's come around time and time again. If you've heard about it in the U.S., it might be because it was kind of a feature of the civil rights movement. So leaders like Dr. Martin Luther King thought that this was going to be a really important element of the economic justice that he saw being central to that fight. And even more recently, there's been just a lot of concerns about robots and automation taking over our jobs. What will we do? Will we need something like this then? And so it has this really kind of funny, long history and strange bedfellows behind it. <laughs> yeah, it definitely has taken on this technological bent. A lot of people in Silicon Valley, they're constantly making new technologies, as you said, to uh, improve people's lives through automation and things like that. And people get displaced in jobs sometimes, you know, it's the rise of the robots. And, you know, what are you going to do when these people are unemployed and don't have any other way to make income? Yeah. So I know there's a couple of other countries that have tried this out. Finland is one of them. Kenya is another. How are these working out there so far? It's 
really fascinating because there's some lower income countries that are trying this for sort of very different reasons. Um, a lot of discussion about doing it in India, which is a big and a relatively low income country, but also one with a pretty big tax base, right? Like India is kind of a superpower. It just happens to have a lot of low income people within it, both in rural areas and in kind of urban slums. So there's this idea that they're going to try out there probably in, in a small number of Indian states, let's just give almost everybody money and see if that works better than the kind of social supports that they already have. But then there's really high income countries that are doing it too. So probably the two most notable ones are Finland and Canada. But there's also experiments happening in Germany and the Netherlands. There's a lot of push for it in other Northwestern European economies. So we're going to have a lot more evidence about this. And so, yeah, and there's just a tremendous amount of interest. And so, as you pointed out, you have that Stockton experiment. And then there's Y Combinator, which is a startup accelerator, is also running an experiment in the U.S. It's really an effort to keep people above the poverty line. You don't want them to fall below we have to analyze the data and see what people are going to do with that money. You know, there's a lot of concern. People are going to just be lazy or use it for drugs, not really better themselves. To a larger point, really, in the country, in the United States, culturally, a lot of people I don't think would want to give people free money. That's another thing, another hurdle to something like this taking off. And, and obviously the cost. I mean, I've seen something in the trillions of dollars if you were going to give everybody in the United States some type of universal basic income. Absolutely. And I think that you're right that just culturally, we here in the U.S., we don't like the idea of anybody getting something for nothing, even if they're really, really poor. So there's some evidence that we know that suggests that doing something like this would lead people to work less but not everybody, right? And not in the same way. We know that people really do retire when they get social security. So older workers might work less. We also know from some other experiments that young parents might spend more time with their kids. And so that is a little more complicated, right? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Right. Is that something that a society wants to support or not? Kids might spend longer in school, Unemployed people might take longer looking for a job, but again, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, so it is complicated. And sometimes I think UBI's boosters, they sort of argue, well, we won't be able to tolerate if everybody just drops out of the labor force. And I think that that's true, but there's some nuance to it. But I think that you're right that that's a pretty significant objection. Same thing with the cost. It would certainly cost a lot of money. Um, the U.S. is actually a pretty low tax country by sort of rich world standards. So the money is there. But, you know, again, it's it's this matter of political will and whether this is what we want to spend that money on. It's going to be very interesting to see what the Stockton experiment delivers. And it's really also about who you're giving the money to. Um, obviously, in a city, they have a lot of unemployment there. They're going to want to give it to the poorest citizens. But you really need to give it to a broad spectrum of people to really see what everybody's going to do with it, to see if it would work on a larger scale. I would imagine a lot of these tech companies are going to still be in favor of a lot of this stuff. You know, they're responsible for making these technologies <laughs> that could potentially be putting people out of work. I, I think that's kind of where a lot of the sentiment from these people come from. Totally. This idea, like, do we want to subsidize you so that you'd be able to put all these people out of work? Because I think that you're right. A world in which we have sort of 50% unemployment, even with all of those new amazing technologies, that's a legitimately frightening world. And so I'm not sure that, that we're necessarily there yet. And I do think that like wage stagnation is probably a more prevalent problem that people are facing. But I think that you're right that, that just as a policy question, it's really easy to think about like, okay, in a world where robots are doing a lot more work, we don't just want to be handing people out cash. We want to make sure that they're doing something useful, right? Like right. many people want to work. 
work. I think that the arguments about dignity and work can get complicated, but I do think a large number of people would still want to be doing something, whether that was care work, whether it was something more entrepreneurial, whether it had to do with, you know, taking care of kids, doing something artistic. But a world in which you just have people doing nothing is a really frightening one. (laughs) Last question I have for you, Annie, you wrote the book. Is this something that would work, could work in the future? Yeah, it would work. It could work. Um, I certainly don't think it's the sort of thing that would happen anytime soon. You know, my kind of hope was not to convince anybody that a UBI needs to happen right now, but but just instead to to think a lot about those kind of big, fascinating issues that will always be with us, I think. Annie Lowry, author of Give People Money, How a Universal Basic Income Would End Poverty, Revolutionize Work, and Remake the World. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Ask Alexa. In previous years, Amazon's voice-controlled assistant has a secret Easter egg to reveal deals to some of us. Hey, Alexa, what are the Amazon Prime Day 2018 secret deals? Joining us now is Jennifer Jolly, personal tech columnist for USA Today, Today Show, a bunch of other outlets. We're going to talk about an exciting day. Came out of nowhere is now another big shopping day of the year. You know, you have your Black Friday and your Cyber Monday and all of your Christmas time and all that stuff. And now you have Amazon Prime Day, another huge shopping day. So we're going to talk a little bit about what to buy, what not to buy. Let's start off. When is Amazon Prime Day? Amazon Prime Day starts July 16th. So that's Monday. And it's going for 36 hours this year. So we have a day and a half to score some huge, huge, huge deals. They said last year, 76% of Prime prices beat out Black Friday price. It's a really opportunity to get some good stuff in there, but there's a lot of pitfalls also. What should we look to to buy and what not to buy? Gadget and tech accessories are discounted for the sale, but products from Apple and Google likely are not going to be the gigantic discounts that you're always hoping for. You know, you're not going to see an iPhone 10 that is on sale for $25. What you (laughs) will see are Chromebooks, some iPads from third-party sellers, and those deals are rarely as good as the sales prices that already exist. So it's probably best to steer clear of those. Amazon's own gadget, by contrast, are super low price for Prime Day specifically. So you'll pick up all kinds of great Amazon Echo devices, all really great deals on those. You'll also see some new gadgets coming out in their innovation line that are kind of a peek to the gadgets of the future, though there will be some sales on those. I just am looking up here, uh, Amazon Fire tablets. Those are fantastic tablets, and you're getting those $89, 90 bucks. Those are normally about 150 bucks. So those are pretty great deals of Fire TVs, things like that. I haven't seen uh, any price points yet, but I imagine their new Amazon Fire Cube, which is their TV thing. I've listed out about 12 on my personal website on Techish, T-E-C-H-I-S-H, techish.com. There's a nice long list there. Pet tech is super huge this year. And there's a a pet device called Furbo. I love this thing. I love it so much. (laughs) (laughs) It's a magical little device that's a pet companion when you're away from home. You can check in. I, I actually use it as a home security camera as well. It's a treat dispenser, bark sensor, camera and speaker. It's normally just under 250 bucks. It's going 
all the way down to 140. Wow, that's a cool, that's a good day. price. Yeah. You also yeah. said that older TVs and cameras and big appliances is probably a good buy during this thing. Those are good buys, mostly because a lot of retailers are trying to get rid of that inventory to bring in all the newest stuff for the holiday, the Cyber Monday, the Black Friday, and the holiday shopping. My game plan is always to go straight for those big ticket items, the things I really need anyway, like a new dishwasher. I'm eyeing a new refrigerator this year. With that free delivery that you could often score on Prime Day, it is a win-win-win. There's something you put in your article that I thought was genius. It's a website called Camel Camel Camel, and yeah. it helps you check the prices to see if you're really getting a good deal. Explain that a little bit. Some Amazon sellers raise the price of their products just before a big sale. Brick and mortar stores do this as well. Then they discount them. So it looks like this gigantic great deal come big sale day. Well, Camel 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 is a super useful website that lets you track any of that price history on any Amazon product. And you can go to it and try it out right now. You take an Amazon product, you copy, link to it, you copy that, paste it right into Camel Camel Camel. It will show you all of the price history. If you have an Alexa or an Echo Dot or anything like that, you should be asking it for secret deals. That and lightning deals. Explain those two things for us. Well, lightning deals, there's a limited amount of products and you have to be paying really close attention to it and set yourself up to get an alert for specifically for lightning deals. Those are kind of like the doorbusters that you have over the holidays. For the Ask Alexa, just try it. If you own a, one of those devices with Alexa embedded, try it. You will likely hear about something fantastic that no one else will know. I know there's a lot of last minute deals that always pop up, but just like every other shopping day, these are set up for smart shoppers. So do some research, know what you want to get. And then when the time hits, just buy it all. Jennifer Jolly, personal tech columnist for USA Today, Today Show, a bunch of other outlets. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me and good luck out there. Well, it would seem incredibly difficult to try and get away with this when you're stealing from a tech company, right? right? I mean, it's their job to monitor things yeah, in the technology exactly. sphere. Joining us now is Marco Delacava, tech and culture writer for USA Today. I love these stories. It could be a scene in a Jason Bourne film or something like that. Some tech guy is trying to steal trade secrets from Apple for self-driving cars, and he gets caught. It was almost a perfect getaway. Tell us what happened with this former Apple employee. Yeah, you're right. It does seem pretty cinematic. Although if you drill down into the details, it doesn't sound like he had that much of a chance of getting away. And, and maybe that's just the FBI's standard procedure to get people at the airport. But there was a gentleman, a Chinese gentleman, who was hired by Apple in 2015, allegedly to help work on the company's self-driving car program, which is a program that for years Apple denied having, and even recently it's very loosely acknowledged that it's working on self-driving cars. Is that supposed there, to be a secret that they were not, that Apple was not currently developing that technology? It wasn't a secret as of now. It was a secret for years in the sense that they would repeatedly deny that they were working on this, even though some reports citing unnamed sources said they were actively working on this. Obviously, an incident like this just confirms that they do have that kind of a team. The gentleman in, that was under suspicion, he went to go visit family. He went back to China. 
And then what happened after that? Right. He went on, I think, paternity leave, and he apparently came into the office and did some downloading. And first of all, under Apple's policy, you can't be in the office while you're on paternity leave. So that raised suspicions right away. They started doing some of their own forensic analysis of what he was up to. And Yes, they concluded that he had been downloading all sorts of proprietary material. And when he quickly sort of said, look, I'm leaving, I'm actually going to go work for a self-driving car company in China, the suspicion was simply that he was going to take those secrets to this Chinese company. There was surveillance footage, there was badge swipe data that found him at the Apple campus a couple days before he was supposed to actually return from the paternity leave, and they show him taking a keyboard, some cables, some boxes, chargers and stuff. So he's caught on film doing all this stuff. What happened after that? The FBI ended up catching him at the airport? Yes, he apparently um, was on his way to China, probably for good. He got so far as checking in and that actually apparently got so far as getting through security. Probably at that point, you picture the guy breathing a big sigh of relief. Apparently that's right when the FBI uh, apprehended him and, and that was that. Does this kind of stuff happen a lot in these tech companies where everybody's trying to steal secrets and then go work for a rival company? That's what Anthony Lewandowski, who was one of Google's top self-driving car engineers, decided rather abruptly to found his own self-driving truck company, which a few months later, Uber bought for nearly $700 million in equity. That then eventually sparked a lawsuit by Google against Uber, maintaining that Lewandowski had downloaded many, many, many files that they said included proprietary information about their LIDAR, which is a, a radar, a laser radar system, and decided to go off and start his own company, but sort of on the shoulders of technology developed by Google. Well, that lawsuit dragged on for, for more than a year, back and forth. They finally went to trial, and then, as you probably remember, after a week of trial, Uber decided to settle. They did not admit guilt, per se. They always maintained that they never used any stolen documents to create their own LIDAR, but they did basically decide to uh, settle and give Google quite a bit of equity, I think around a quarter million dollars of equity in uh, Uber. So that's the biggest example of somebody allegedly saying, hey, this is good stuff. Let me use it to, to start my own shop. These secrets are so uh, tightly held that surveillance footage, they can catch your when you're swiping your badge. So, I mean, it's tough to get away with anything, really. Well, it would seem incredibly difficult to try and get away with this when you're stealing from a tech company, right? right? I mean, it's their job to monitor things yeah, in the technology exactly. sphere. What remains sort of interesting to me, however, is just what the nature is of what they're trying to steal. Because in the end, to some degree, self-driving cars run on some fundamentally basic systems in the sense that there are sensors. The sensors capture data. They feed that data into a computer that then tells the car what to do. That's what all these cars do. There's not like one company that has special sauce that's going to make the car then fly. So the question is, how much better is your car going to be? Marco Delacava, tech and culture writer for USA Today. Thank you very much for joining us. Good to be here. All right, that's it for this week. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. We love the feedback, so don't forget to leave us a comment and give us a rating. Follow the Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive.